Welcome, everybody. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites, our weekly look at food, farming, energy, and our environment. And a number of years ago, I think it was exactly uh, 16 years ago, we did a program, I remember, um, on a number of programs we've done on African-American world and farming. And when we did that programming, we talked about how at one point in our world, in 1920, black farmers actually owned... 15.6 million acres in the United States, which had fallen down to 2 million. It was dropping by 1,000 acres every year. Farmers went from 926,000 black farmers in 1910 to just 18,000 in 2001. Things are changing. Things are moving. And an incredibly interesting report has come out from the common market uh, to address all of this. And we are lucky to have one of the folks who, led this, who did lead this report, uh, Hannah Jo King, who is development fellow, uh, at the Common Marketplace and lead author of the report. And Hannah Jo, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Nice to be on. Great to have you here. So, Hannah Jo, let me just start at the beginning here. So, t- tell our listeners a bit about Mar- Common Marketplace first, just about who you are and what generated this report. Sure. Well, it's the Common Market, and we are, so we're based in two locations. In the Mid Atlantic, we have um, a location in Philadelphia, and then we're also in Georgia. Um, based in Atlanta. And so we're essentially um, what you might call a food hub or a food aggregator, a food distributor. We work with local farmers who are in the region, so within 250 miles of Philly and Atlanta. And we basically aggregate their food in a warehouse, um, and then we distribute that food to communities in urban areas. So we really try to focus on getting good food to communities who don't usually have access to good food, um, particularly through institutional channels, such as schools and hospitals, universities, um, as well as with community organizations, such as food banks and um, farm stands that are in low-income neighborhoods. So, and very specifically, what, what led you to this report, the, the needs assessment of black farmers on the Delmarva Peninsula? What, what, is, what was the origins of this work? Yeah, so one, one part of what we try to do is we're really uplifting small farmers who have not had access to traditional market channels. Um, And, of course, within that, we can talk about um, underserved and underrepresented communities of color. Um, Black farmers in particular have had a difficult time having the same access to to markets that um, white farmers have had, and certainly large farmers and industrial farmers. So in the Mid-Atlantic, we've been looking for farmers that we can really work with um, because, you know, we want to grow their capacity and grow their opportunities. And um, we found that in on the eastern shore, on the Delmarva Peninsula, there's a higher concentration of African-American farmers. So we really wanted to do this report in order to understand what their needs are, um, what kind of what level they're at right now, and how we might be able to, to partner or strengthen and support these farmers. So taking a step backwards for a moment, one of the things you, you start the report off with is talking about, in the very beginning, describing the, the lawsuits that took place, the, the Pigford versus Glickman in 1999, and then the updated uh, Pickford victory that led to all this money for black and other black farmers in America. I mean, so, so and it seems that when people look at that and say it's a 2.21 billion dollar settlement, two billion dollar settlement, um, that yeah. that that seems like a lot of money to people. So people go, oh, so what's the problem, right? So I guess, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it it seems like a lot of money, but it's really not. Um, when you think about the thousands of farmers that applied in this settlement. And I mean, the whole thing was that they were applying for loan discrimination from the USDA, and they won. So basically what we learned from that case is that the USDA and other government agencies have been discriminating against, in this case, black farmers in particular, but 
minority growers for, you know, for decades, you know, for centuries. And $2.2 billion was kind of like, I mean, split between the thousands of farmers who applied. It took like, I think it took like 20 years before the, the settlement was actually complete. So during that time, you had farmers who were still losing their land. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's good. It definitely was like a victory, but it's only kind of one step, I would say. So knowing that the the uh, Delmarva Peninsula is like in your bailiwick in terms of the common marketplace that you're, your common market and what you're trying to develop um, as a food hub, but but so but it's also a unique place in terms of its history and isolation, which probably led to why there were at one point so many black farmers. So what do you see? Is how uh, how do you analyze how that history could affect the present and the future? Hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, so I think that the Delmarva Peninsula, as you pointed out, it is very unique culturally and has been isolated kind of over over the centuries since America's colonization. But one thing that that isolation, I guess, has led to from from my perspective and from what I you know, kind of learned through this research is that there's traditions in farming that have stuck around. Um, it's kind of like the South in that way, that there are more black farmers who are still on the land who have been passing down the farm through generations. And although those farmers have moved into more kind of industrialized, a lot of them have moved into more like grain um, and commodity agriculture, there's still knowledge around how to do kind of sustainable growing, more varietal, diverse crops. And so there's an opportunity within that to kind of revive the knowledge that's still there and, and the land ownership that's still there and the people who are still there to maybe move into something that's more financially sustainable, more sustainable for the earth. And, and in the end, you know, if, it's, if they can work through a partner like the common market, then it's also getting food into communities who really need, who really need um, access to that. So you, when you describe this, you talk about how the, 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 the way farming developed on the eastern shore and, and on Delmarva, and that used to be truck farms and fruits and vegetables, and you mentioned a Food and Water Watch report that said it could change, it could actually was greater in terms of money than, than the money being brought out by the, by the CAFO and the industrial poultry industry. So, I mean, what, so when you looked at this, I'm curious what you saw as, 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 as what the role of black farmers could be and, and how they could be strengthened. Yeah, well, I mean, we outline kind of like a number of um, entry points into strengthening black farmers. So, like you mentioned, the role of CAFOs, the shore, and, and I mean, across the United States has just really been like taken over by kind of large-scale production, and CAFOs are one example of that. But for smaller farmers um, or folks who are looking to transition back into something that's more, um, you know, sustainable for themselves and not necessarily part of this system where you're, you know, selling to a buyer who's selling to somebody who's selling to somebody who's selling to a consumer. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's providing, first of all, more capital support, um, whether that's through USDA or through other foundations or um, private capital. Um, and it's also, you know, it's debt-free uh, capital or, or as close to debt-free as possible because folks tend to be hesitant to take on loans, um, yeah. especially knowing the discrimination that they faced in the past. Um, and it's also it's access to infrastructure and transportation infrastructure, um, labor um, on the eastern shore. You know, it's, it's a rural, dense, not a rural, not a rural, not a densely populated area. 
rural. So access to affordable labor is also really important in terms of in terms of needs. You know, one. I mean, I could go on. There's. You're welcome there's to go on. I mean, others. I think it's really important yeah. because because I think that one of the things that we've discovered in our work over the years, in sound bites here and on the Eastern Shore, is that you know that farmers are squeezed into this one kind of marketplace, uh, where it's difficult mm-hmm. to survive otherwise. Um, either in soybeans and grains, and you're raising chickens, or you're part of the industry, where it's very difficult to kind of create a world outside of that that actually, where you can make a living which is part of what your common marketplace is about, mm-hmm. right, creating that. So so, mm-hmm. so, what have you discovered in, in this terms of the report that, that might be shifting among black farmers on the, on, in the Delmarva? Mm-hmm. Was there something well, that... Well, it is... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, it is kind of... It's also a cultural shift, which I don't, I don't know if that's what you were kind of getting yeah, at or yeah, not. But yeah. yeah, because it's, it's... I mean, moving from one type of production to another, is, it's a leap. And you're not going to grow something if you don't know that it sells. So it's really doing doing like authentic outreach to minority farmers, or or you know, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the the PC term that they have now, limited resource <laughs> farmers. <laughs> uh, so limited resource farmers um, around around these types of partnerships, because just saying oh, sustainable agriculture is so great, you should move into that. You know, that's really unrealistic for people who are, you're putting something in the ground and hoping that it's going to sell on the other side. So having having people who can come in and say like, hey, we've, you know, we've got a farmer's market and, and actually working with those folks to see what would you need to sell at a farmer's market. So do you need to be paid up front? Um, do you need help accessing the seeds? Do you need the transportation support in order to, get your food from, from where you're growing it to the market because maybe you can't also afford to be, you know, trucking back and forth. Um, in the case of common market, something else we do is crop planning. So we talk about, you know, what is it that we've seen in our customers that they're looking for? You know, this year is it, I don't know, could it be like kale or, um, for example, hydroponics or we found that high tunnel vegetables um, that are kind of on the edge of the season, so that are extending out the season, those sell very well in the marketplace because they're, you know, they're not as common. So having those real conversations and, and kind of understanding the position that farmers are in and really listening to what they need and finding where you have synergy and where you can offer your support and the resources that you might have as a nonprofit or a training center or, um, you know, the government agency or whatever it is that you do, a foundation, um, really, like, listen and understand and then find where you can support. So one of the things that in the report when you saw that 1.3 percent of the farms in Delmarva are operated by African-American farmers, um, which is 86 principal operators, as you write about, out of 6,882. So um, Mm -hmm. what policy-wise has to change? What has to change to change that, you know, and I, I because I, one, one of the things, I don't know if, well, let me just stop there and ask that question, I'll, and I'll ask the next one next. I mean, what, what, so what, what, do you, what do you think has to move, what, what has to shift to increase that number and to also help bring younger African Americans into this, into farming on the East, on, in, the, in Del Marva, since the average age of the black farmer is even older than the white farmer. Um, so what, what, do, what do you think the steps are? Well, I think, um, first, like to acknowledge that if people want to move into farming, that's 
that's their choice and offering the resources to make that happen. So it very well might be true that the number of black farmers in this country will continue to decline. And, and that's not necessarily, I mean, I just want to acknowledge that farming is a difficult trade and that, right. you know, being economically successful as a farmer is, it, it is a hard choice to make that. And it's not a lifestyle for everybody. Um, but I, I do think that there are young folks out there who are interested in kind of doing this homesteading lifestyle and moving back to the land and finding partnerships for, I think, land access is huge and understanding what it means to be um, either a landowner or a renter and, and the financials that go along with that. So access to proper training around um, financially handling land ownership and then also um you know, like linking up older black farmers who might not have an heir to take over their farm with younger folks who are who are interested in doing that. You know, one um, of the things, before we have to roll, I know you have to run, but, but one of the things that, that's interesting that, that when I was thinking about this report, and I really, it was really a good report, and I think an important one that you all put out, um, there's a community on the eastern shore called, I don't know if you were part of it or when you saw if you saw it when you did the report called Santo Domingo, which is an old black community on the eastern shore founded by, they think, a man who was a Haitian sailor in the, in the, in the early 1800s. So it's been a free community forever. And it has all this farmland. Oh. Nobody hardly farms anymore, and they rent it out to white farmers. I kept thinking to myself, looking at this report and knowing all the young black farmers that we've been interviewing, that's, that's a, a, a marriage made in heaven if it could happen because there's this giant chunk of land owned by black folks that is being rented out to white soy farmers. Sure. Yeah, well, that's also a commonality. I think that it's it's the struggle to find people who are who have, you know, the money to pay the rent every week or just to find people in general because we know that there's such a smaller number. And so it's, I think it's common that black farmers tend will rent to to white farmers or just other folks who aren't necessarily within the community. And that I mean, for, for me with that, that's like an opportunity for a, like a third partner to step in. Could, could your land be turned into a conservation easement opportunity where there would be financial support for a younger black farmer to, to rent from you as somebody who maybe can't afford it otherwise? Or even just like understanding the network of who's out there and who's looking for land. Because, um, you know, I mean, in that case, if you're, if you're renting land, sometimes it's just easier to take the option that is already presented to you and not go out and do all the outreach and you know where do you start with something like that well, this so is like re- that sounds really cool with santo domingo and and i wonder how you know uh somebody could come in and, and play a role in kind of like advertising that and like supporting folks to use that land yeah it's, an if, ama- it's you know a- if the people at santo domingo are interested in that so, right, it's an amazing also community. A of talking with them. Yeah, right, exactly. Now, it's an amazing community. I've, I've been down there, spent several days interviewing folks down there in that community, and um, they're an incredible group of people. And they they they're centerpieces. One of the old schools that was started by the founder of Sears and Roebuck that had these series of black schools all across the country back in the early 1900s, and that's at the center of their community. It's a really interesting place. So, uh, and it's a fascinating history. But let me just say, this has been a, this is a great report. I think it's a really important report. 
um, that we're going to link to on our website, the Needs Assessment of Black Farmers on the Delmarva Peninsula, uh, and put out by Common Marketplace, which we'll be, link, we'll be linking to their work as well, because I think it's really relevant to the future of developing an alternative agriculture in an entire region here, and we hope to have them on a week more to talk more about that. Um, and I want to thank Hannah Jo King, who's a development fellow with the Marketplace, and the lead author of this report, for taking her time with us today. Uh, Hannah Jo King, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Back, folks, is Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show and Sound Bites, our weekly look at food, farming, our energy systems, and the environment. And we continue our conversation around black farming in our world. Uh, before we went to break, of course, we were talking about to uh, the folks who, to Mary Jo King, who has edited and wrote the report about black farmers on Delmarva needs assessment. Uh, and now we have with us here in studio Denzel Mitchell, educator, food justice advocate, political commentator, uh, and uh, longtime farmer. Alea Fraser, who is a farmer on Black Dirt Farms over there on the shore in Delmarva itself, and Levette Blue, who uh, runs uh, the Green and Blue Farm here right in Baltimore City. And mm-hmm. it's good to have all three of you with us. How you doing, Mark? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. So, let's, so uh, you know, uh, Alea, let me start with you. It was one of the your 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 farm and the, your farming collective was kind of featured cinematically <laughs> photograph at the top of this report. Um, <laughs> And so I just want to take a step backwards, Ilya, because for you to describe to our listeners, um, Black Dirt Farm, who you are, what you're trying to create, and what you have created. Uh, yeah. Uh, when uh, when Hannah Jo first reached out to us, it was through Hailey, who uh, is the ED of Common Market. And he's – I'm telling about this because it's, it's like one of the beginning stories of Black Dirt. He came out and um, helped to get us a high tunnel and supported us in that way. And he always kept saying that he wanted to support black farmers on the Delmarva. Where are they? Um, how can we support them? So it was really good that that report came out. Um, and she she was able to do a little bit more research into that. Because at the end of the day, there's just not that many of us out there. Right. So Blaine and I um, and other folks at the collective, we've, we were mainly from Baltimore, D.C. areas um, and have moved moved out to the eastern shore when land became available with two women we call the aunties, um, and it's the ancestral lands of Harriet Tubman. So we started growing out there in different iterations about four seasons ago, um, and each year looks a little bit different. Uh, what we're trying to do is not only be, you know, ecologically sound with the environment, but also integrated socially in the community and also be educating folks um, on our practices um, in, in the hopes that more people will return to the land, not just with farming in particular, but returning to that um, that way of being agrarian lifestyle, you could call it. And of course, um, with a leaning toward, a political leaning of food sovereignty, 
food justice, um, understanding that our food system is unjust and, you know, not just, and we're trying to do our part um, through education and through farming to address those things and show a different way of being, if you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you all do an incredible job, and and, and, and it's kind of a really important job. And how many acres are you running now? We're on three acres right now, yeah. And uh, the collective part is is twofold. So we cooperatively sell um, through the Community Farming Alliance in D.C. with a couple other farmers. We collectively plan gatherings and educational events. So we had like 80 folk out at the farm in July, which was our biggest training. And it was three days long. Folks came from all over the country, actually. Mississippi, Florida, Texas. Huh. We called it the Mid-Atlantic Agroecology Encounter. So it's focused on Mid-Atlantic, however. And, um, yeah, so it's just been a, a, a space for lots of different types of growing. And when did that happen? That was the end of July 2016, this past mm-hmm. July. You were there, Dan? I wasn't. I wasn't. I, um, um, I uh, have had a longstanding relationship with uh, Blaine and Leah. Um, and, you know, as they've developed uh, Black Dirt Farm, um, and <clears throat> so I was I was around for the very, very beginnings when uh, when everything was in That's it. That's where it actually all began. It's <laughs> <laughs> all embryonic stages. I remember, yes. I remember meeting Blaine when he was working with you on your farm. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. Where, that's right. Absolutely. That's, where it began. That's, that's how we how we met Aaliyah, and uh, Aaliyah ran the city site for a number of years, and so so I'm uh so I'm, I'm I'm part of the lineage, you know. Cause the young folks have took it and 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 run with it a lot farther. You're young with too much lineage, aren't you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I got some. You know, I was standing around somewhere and somebody said something about the uh, urban farm grandfather. I was like, I'm only forty. <laughs> I'll call you the Godfather. Yeah, okay, all right. I'll take that. <laughs> the Godfather of the dirt. I, I need to get get a, a big chair, some rings, some pinky rings. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy. We'll be right back. Stay with us. With a brand new episode of Sound Bites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, our environment, and our energy systems. This week, we're focusing on the black farmer in the Eastern Shore and in America. So, if it a little bit blue, but to describe a little bit for just shortly, briefly, I mean to say, what um, the Greener Gardens is and, and when the two of you started that farm and what it means. Well, we have been gardening for um, on and off for like 20 some years. And um, we met a young fellow, Willie Flowers. Um, who works for the Paul Tice Community Service. And um, he came over and he asked us one day to join him. This was in 2013 to do a market uh, at Pimlico. So we were like, why not? So we decided <laughs> to do that. And it's been an interesting experience. And the only thing I like about it more than anything is I get to introduce new uh, produce, different kind of produce to them. Um, expanding uh, other things, other things from other countries uh, to them. It's it's been interesting. Some people like it, some people don't. We also um, in 2015 we uh, did another market also, which was the Hill Market, 
And um, that was interesting. That they were more open to trying different things. But it helps the community. It, the people around us that are here, uh, they go like, oh, we rode past there, but we didn't really see a whole lot, so we didn't stop. Well, <laughs> it's one of the streets. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you had to stop, get out, and come take a look. And the concept that we are urban farm inside the city was just kind of foreign to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we are trying to educate our neighbors and the different people at the farmer's market about different things. And uh, I met Aaliyah, hi Aaliyah, and Danzel, very fascinating people. <laughs> and we've gone in a whole different direction of doing, you know, growing different things. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting, and it's given us a new outlook on life. Well, yeah, I know you have an incredible farm, and it's it's, it's amazing that the, what you can grow on a small plot of land. But I, I the, the question, what I'd like to really explore w- with the three of you is when you read this report <clears throat> and you see the kind of the, the the uniqueness in some ways of the region that we're in. Mm-hmm. You just even take Delmarva, right? And one of the things the report starts out talking about is the the isolation of Delmarva. For several hundred years before the building of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, right. its legacy of enslavement and white domination, mm-hmm. um, and also a very large black population um, within the, the peninsula, and but so little of the land is actually still owned and farmed by people by, by black folks, right? Right. right. So, except I was telling her about Santo Domingo, which is a place that owns lots of land, but they no longer farm it; they rent it out to white farmers. Right. Um, it's an old, old free black town, been around since around 18, 1810. But, but so, so the question I have though is, is so, so what do you think changes that dynamic? I mean, what really, you know, you have you have to ensure that where the where the marketplace is based on industrial farming, chicken, soy, corn, and the entire industry, and that's pretty, you know, I mean, that's the way American agriculture has grown since the forties to now. So, and they, and they. Throw these numbers about how much money could be made if there was more vegetable and truck farming and and and, and grazing going on. So, what what do you think? A well, let's just start with the, with, the, with the black community. What begins to change the dynamic? What can change the dynamic? Has to do with money. Has to do with people's interests. Has to do with some folks I know who say I don't put my hands in dirt. That's my grandfather. That we, we we left that. Right. 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 So so it's a it's a little bit of all of that. Right. So so um you know so. Black folks are still dealing with this historical trauma, right? And so farming looks a lot like enslavement to a lot of a lot of black folks. Um, you know, we, you know, many people come with this mindset of, you know, well, my folks left the South, left that kind of work to come to move to the industrial North, so we left that, right? Now, and there's, and then with that, coupled with that, you have this nostalgia of you know, wanting to grow your own food and having some some level of food sovereignty. But then on top of that, you know, this society is set up in a way where your life is not conducive for you to um, have a serious impact and, and some serious input into your food intake. So that's one piece. So there's a social piece. Then you have the, the financial, uh, financial piece um, where um, l- the land... The little bit of land that black folks collectively have owned, there's been a there's been systematic steps to take that away, and a lot of times it has been taken away. I mean that that's the story in my family, the story in many many people's family that you know your family owned, you know, 
acreage um, out in the out in the country somewhere, far away from where these young people are, they could possibly start a new business, but nobody held on to it. Nobody saw the value in it. You didn't see the value in it. You weren't taught to see the value in it, and so and so it ends up getting sold when this this uh, this company this ag. ag- agricultural com- company comes by and offers some money and they're just going to put some chickens on it or put a Hor- Hormel uh, pig factory on it. That's the other piece. Now, if you do, in fact, have the land, now how do you build the capital to start a business, right? How do you start an enterprise? So, you know, so there's lots of challenges. And then on top of that, you know, farming is not like uh, pressing T-shirts. You know, it's not, you know, it's very difficult to kind of learn as you go. You know, you need a skill set that you would have learned from a another experienced farmer or agriculturalist to now take those skills that you learned from someone else and to start a new enterprise. And we don't, that's another, uh, an, another level of tutelage that we don't have. And so that's why the work that Black Dirt Farm, what Blaine and Leah, you know, what we, what we started doing um, and, you know, what, what the blues do now with young people, that's why that work is so important. It's like, that's a huge piece of what we've, what we've lost. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I've always found to be incredibly important is that farming has to be sexy, right? It's like being an athlete is, is sexy. Being a, 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 an entertainment um, artist is sexy. Even, you know, to some extent, you know, being a scientist or a mathematician, you know, there's some, there's some glamour in that. You know, farming has to have the same type of allure to bring young people to it. So, and Leah, how would you, let me let you add to that, and then we'll turn to Levette. Yeah, like that sums it up really well. And the only thing I kept thinking about was the, what you alluded to at the end about who we need to learn from and that intergenerational connection. Because mm-hmm. um, I was just down in Alabama at the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. Uh-huh. Um, amazing groups of black farmers down there that have held on to their land and are farming. Um, and I'm just still like, I'm still buzzed up just because I was just sitting under some amazing genius and knowledge that I, I have access to with the blues. I've got access, actually the women who own the land, their, their last name is Green. So I've got access with the Greens. There's a lot of elders in our network who we can talk to and love us and like we can go to. But I, I think we're lucky in that sense. And I know we're very lucky and blessed in that sense, whereas a lot of people don't um, convene with their elders in that way or even understand their um, historical connection and their family to land. In order to make it sexy or to valorize it, you kind of have to, you know, have that deeper connection. So that's 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 one thing. <laughs> and of course, just the countryside is is as much as I I love it out here on the eastern shore, and like would love if everybody wanted to kind of move out here and start farming and being on the land more. I can't lie and talk about and say that this climate isn't kind of hostile, like politically um, and everything. Even when you're talking about the type of farming that's going on, it's environmentally hostile. Right. So um, that's why it's important for urban farms and places like the Blues and just, um, you know, a myriad of urban farms in Baltimore that serve as this, like, place where people, um, where black folk are to connect to the land and get that bug, you could say, because I, I got my bug definitely in and around Baltimore, and it's that bug to, you know, make me want to move out to a more rural area and connect, um, you know, and be on the land more, so l- larger tracts of land. <laughs> before I ask about this question, I'm, I'm curious, Elliot, you, you said one thing I'm really curious about, to, to describe more. 
Why were you so buzzed coming out of the conference in Alabama, the Black Cooperative Farm Croppers? What, 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 what did you feel and experience and learn there that, 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 that left you with this kind of high kind of feeling about what was going on? Uh, mainly because it, it was an a extremely intergenerational space, like from 18-year-olds um, to 70-year-olds. And, um, yeah, just the amount of sharing and democracy that was happening and this process that we were creating. It's called the National Black Food uh, Justice Alliance. It's a new alliance that's forming. Um, and, and they kind of convened this, this group to, to vision forward. So it was like a visioning session. So... Um, it remind, it showed me like what society can look like when you have 18 to 70 and also babies running around and all, everyone's inputting mm-hmm. into what we, we collectively want to see. And the two things we were talking about were land, of course, and self-determined food economies. So um, a lot of times those conversations I've been in and they're siloed. I'm in a room full of 25-year-olds or I'm in a, you know, or a room full of urban farmers or a room full of rural farmers, but this was like, a room with all of it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's cool. No, no, no. It's, it's cool. It's something we'd love to cover next time they do. It'd be be good to be part of that and feel it and see it and tape it. Yeah, I can speak to that about being a Southern Sog. It's the same thing. You know, being able to see mm-hmm. the the uh, the the diversity in age, background of a, a huge contingent of Black farmers from all over the South coming together, talking, building, sharing. It was like I came out of there feeling quite euphoric. So I can, I totally understand that feeling. Uh, very interesting. Good to share that feeling with the world here. I think mm-hmm. a little bit. And so, Levitt, you also. I remember when we, I would talk to you, the two of you, you. You've had this idea for Baltimore City Schools, which I think is really important and unique to talk about just for a minute. Mm-hmm. You, there was it's starting a future farmers inside of our city schools. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Levitt. Um. Right now, we're trying to do something that. Uh, where we can, uh, the church I attend, Southern uh, Hope Baptist, with Hubert Brown, Pastor Hubert Brown. Yes, yeah. Before, yes. He, um, we're trying to set up a program there uh, with him because they do have a garden there beside the church. And it, we have quite a few kids in the congregation. And I think it would be beneficial for them to learn, uh, actually, not just say, oh, we have a garden. Here it is, you know, and look at it and keep going. I want them to learn how to uh, plant, know what the soil is consistent of, and why you want to kind of not use a lot of chemicals in your food, and just to pass it on. It's a passion, and it has to be passed on. And the farmers, they, when we were growing up, they would say, well, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing so-and-so. So I actually saw it in work, you know, I actually saw it every day. And... So then when I would come back to the city, I would go like, oh, it looks like a desert here compared to where I came from. <laughs> and I wanted to have some of that in my life. So when we finally were able to get here and um, we bought a home and it was land, but it was trees, trash, you know, and none of that is going on. It took us a long time to get it straightened out. And all our children helped us, our grandchildren helped us, and our great-grandchildren, we had them over here working in the yard. I had to bribe them a little bit, but they think this is normal. They don't think of it as <laughs> something odd because they grew up doing it. So they're like, oh, okay, we got to go and help Pop Pop, or we got to help Granny to get this done or that done. And sometimes your 
Uh, food just a little, uh, by a little hand, but it's okay. Because they understand, oh, I, I have to be careful with this tomato because now it's all squashy and it's all over my hand. So they learn what they see. If they never see it, they can't learn it. And so this is what I want to just not just be, but my husband and I, we want to pass it on. And it's a passion with us. And for those that farm, it's a passion. Or they wouldn't do it because it's hard work. And unless you're able to find a particular niche, it's not as profitable as you would like it to be. You would have to have some other kind of income coming in in order to sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I think that, they, they talked about the, the demise of the black farm. I was saying at the very top of the show um, when I was talking to the folks at Common Marketplace that we did this show back in 2001, I remember, where we talked about the demise of the black farmer because the you know millions of ac- tens of millions of acres being lost and right. and and the the, the age of uh, the average age of black farmers is actually five years older than the average age of white farmers. Right. And so, but th- something's turning around. I, I don't know if it's a shift of magnitude, but there's a shift. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see it in, throughout all communities, but that there are more, instead of having fewer black farmers, there are actually more black farmers now than there were 10 years ago. And it's something about the notion and idea of self-reliance and of, as you were talking about, Leah, people sustaining themselves and, and, and creating of their own community, and I think that uh, you know, food sovereignty was a word you used. I mm-hmm. think, and food justice. Mm-hmm. And I think, right. I think, in some ways, Alea, that's kind of that's taking hold, in a in a way. And the question is, how do you spread it? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, our everything that's happening is, or this momentum behind farming and being more self-determined is definitely a response, not only to like politics, but also climate. Um, but there's a lot of energy in the air and you can see people like responding to that. <laughs> and some people are doing it in negative ways and some people are channeling it or trying to channel it into positive ways. And I think that farming just kind of comes about naturally as like one of those positive ways to channel um, this unrest or this energy that people are, are feeling. So, but yeah, on, on as a matter of like spreading it, I think it's I think it's one of those you just got to go back to analogies in the garden and planting seeds because <laughs> it's not and I don't know yeah it's something we always think about I don't have an answer I was just rambling. <laughs> That's good. No, no, that's good. Because I mean, you know, one of the things I th- think about, we did a show. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the book, and I was trying to look it up as we were talking here. Um, but the, the the who wrote this book on Booker T. Washington, and people love to kind of you know down Booker T. and mm-hmm. uplift somebody else because get along, go along. People want to say about him, but it, 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 everybody's more complex than what we want to make them. Right. And he really was the father of organic agriculture. He was the father of sustainability. You talking George Washington Carver? Yeah, I mean George Washington George Carver. Did I say Booker mm-hmm. T? You did. So I'm and George Washington Carver. Yeah. Um, and so that he was actually you know I mean the idea of of Elevating him, like we're elevating Harriet Tubman and others, absolutely. You know, to to to, to his place right. and what he gave us. He gave us more crops than almost any other single human being in the United States exactly. to grow. Right, and was really was the father of sustainable farming. Right, and, and he deserves you know American agriculture sainthood. He deserves black sainthood, 
um, you know, American sainthood. American sainthood, right? <laughs> we got all these other saints, right. warmongers, and everything. <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I'm not going. I'm not going to go on a rant. Um, but you know, George Washington Carver, it, yeah, it's a modern American agriculture. I mean, he saved the agricultural economy of this country, and that conversation is not not had. You know, um, um, and so there's a huge disconnect again um, between uh, you know what what is and what the possibility is like teaching young people what the possibility is and it it, it is it is a, a beautiful thing and becoming less rare that young people are coming along and they're learning and they're finding out and they're and and they're being inspired and they're inspiring others you know that's what black dirt is doing inspiring others to uh join this train um you know to create to create the the food system and the food sovereignty that we that we uh, that we we want because it's not just about producers it's also about consumers as well I mean the consumers have to um, have have to reach out to the to the producers and so uh, so that's happening you know but the conversation around um, George Washington Carver is, is incredibly incredibly important um, you know he, sh- he should be taught in schools and you know in in, in every subject. You know, I, I want I want to get a feel for listen to get a feel here because many of whom don't have their fingers in the dirt, right? Um, and, and I'll start with Alea Frazier and and ask Lavette Blue. I want you all just for just a moment to describe your day. Mm. You know, which what is your day as a farmer? How does it feel to be have your hands in the dirt and create? And having and owning this piece. I mean, so Alea, let me just start with you. I mean, and to just give, I just want to listen to understand what that what that means emotionally and philosophically, and, and the feeling it has to be a farmer for you. Yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll give one like one of the harder days will be the days where we have to harvest and go to a market. Oh, sure. um, but those are also some of the most rewarding days, right? Because mm-hmm. you've harvested and you've seen the 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 pot, pot the the economic productivity of that all in the same day. But you're waking up at like five o'clock, um, the dew's on the plants, you know, you got to get out there before the sun hits. And as you're harvesting, you know, no matter how hard it is, like you're, you're just like in this reflective mode. So I, I, I find farming to be like a form of meditation in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. especially when you can get at it in the morning or like the quiet hours and you're not like in a rush to do things. Um, but then you'll all, even if you get your meditation and grounding in, like very shortly after that, you're going to be hustling and bustling either in the field with a hoe or with weeding or at a farmer's market, um, trying to hustle veggies. So it's like, an, it's, it's a balance for sure. And I think it's reflective of a lot of different types of systems and balances in, in society. So I, I, I see it as that, like, a, you know, I learn a lot about society through farming. <laughs> And the nature. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's important. Sure. Lavelle, how about for you? Well, you know, when you had a rough day or whatever, things don't go right and you, you get really frustrated, you go out to put your hands in the dirt and you feel all that frustration and all just flowing away from you. And um, I actually feel close to the thought when I'm out there. I don't, I can think freely, I can think of ideas, I can pray, I can do all of that, and I, I'm more at peace with myself, so 
that's something I feel that we have lost in this hustle and bustle of the world. We don't take time to be with ourselves, to be ourselves. And the gardening helps us, even if you're just planting flowers, you got your hand in the dirt. That's something that, you know, you can't do if you're at work. You can't go unless you work in that field. But other than that, you got to come home and connect with the earth. And it just gives you a sense of peace that you don't have anywhere else. Well said. I, I was wondering, you know, how important it is <clears throat> for developing this. When you think of, kind of a strange aside, maybe I was just thinking about. There's now a TV show that actually celebrates black farming, mm-hmm. right? I was going to mention that. No. Queen Sugar. <laughs> Queen Sugar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that's um. What's 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 the name of it? Um, uh, Queen Sugar. Yeah. Queen Sugar. Yeah. Queen Sugar. And yeah. yes, it is a show that that celebrates black <clears throat> farmers, and and it's a. Uh, it's um, a very heartfelt show. It was, you know, the first um, three episodes for me were very emotionally provocative. Um, and it's, it's based on a novel, um, and the novel takes, takes kind of a different direction. But it's, it's interesting as a, uh, a, a bibliophile and a um, literature teacher, this is one of the rare occasions where the... Um, um, Visual media form of a of a novel is is better than the book itself. <laughs> you know, I, you, oh, know yeah. you have to give some credit to Ava DuVernay and other other women um, who worked who worked um, as uh, visionaries around around the show. But the you know the show is is really really a really fascinating de- depiction of the struggle of a family to hold on to their to their um, generational land and mm-hmm. the, and, the, and then their fight. Against a much larger system of of uh, of um, racism, white supremacy. It was. It's yes. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty fascinating show. I, I mean, recommend it for everybody. Yeah, no, it, it made yeah. structure. This it, you don't have those yeah. images like that anywhere else. Right. Yeah. And you I got a young black say, farmer. Huh? <laughs> I was just going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you Ralph Angel's kind of like you know he's, right. he's very young, young, young black farmer, young black man who you know coming coming out of incarceration. To uh, to revive his his family's farm, it's, it's dope. Yeah. So was that and you? tying that back to what you were saying earlier about how to make it spread. One of the things we always come back to is like the economic viability of mm-hmm. farming and holding on to land. And like the urban farming and food justice conversation is in one arena, but there's also an arena that isn't always talked about, which is like in rural areas. How do we support a family that wants to continue farming? Where are the resources mm. with lawyers, with money? Where is the agrarian fund that can like hold on to these acres? Because we know that it's actually a crisis. We need to be doing something about it. Um, but then the question always comes down to you get the land, you hold on to the land. How can I actually make money from this? Right. And that's, that's, that's just one of those things. Like <laughs> right. People are still trying to... Find, figure out and find the nuances of it but I think until we find that answer a lot of the work we do I wonder about because I'm like if I farming and feeding each other is good but if we can't hold on to land if we can't have that um, that type of economic power in a system where 97% of the land is owned by people of European descent I just that's like that one piece that I'll, I get stuck at a lot and unfortunately it's, it's there <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, you got to make money. 
that's not the only problem we face. Um, like when I go to some of the markets, they the first thing they ask me, uh, are you a rap? Are you a rap? A rap? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. God, no. <laughs> don't buy a father from Jessica either. We mm-hmm. actually Right. And some some people would just walk right past us because they feel like they don't vote us. And it's very hard to convince them that, yes, we actually do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of discouraging when you, you know what you have. You know you have a good product and what have you not. And they're looking at you like, you uh, you know, oh, you can go to yourself. <laughs> and right. so it makes it very Damn. hard. So we have twice as much problems as a Caucasian farmer would have. Let's be you know, honest about it. They won't buy from us. Um, they will walk past us, even though our products might be cheaper or look better. Um, there is nothing in Baltimore City available for uh, for-profit um, urban farmers. We had to go to the county to get a grant, Baltimore County, to get a grant um, to put up our hoop houses. Um, we have uh, we struggle with our water source. We have to use our home water source, which makes our bills soaring. You know, wow, never thought about that, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, it's hard to hold on. So you hold it on, mm-hmm. and you, you, you because you have this passion, you're holding on so hard. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean that that you know, I'm not shocked by what you said, um, but that's the kind of it shows the depth of things that we have to face every day in this society around race and racism. That that you know, you it's, it's those is it those hor- kind of horrible unconscious moments, mm-hmm. you know, that that are in people's heads. They just make things come out that don't they don't even know it's in there. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. 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 I mean, right. it is. But I want people to learn that it doesn't matter what color you are when you're gardening. You you don't 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 just look at me and say, Oh no, you didn't do that because of the color of my skin. I don't want that. I want to be able to show you and show anybody that you can grow. You can grow anything you want, any kind of way you want, wherever you want. It can be done. And so the passion is there. We're not going to give up on it. We're just going to keep pushing it forward because I think it's important. I think it's important for our survival. Mm -hmm. If you can feed yourself, you can weather a whole lot of things. A lot of things that happen is because there's no food access for people in certain areas. Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you're offering them that food, and showing them a way that they can grow, even if it's in a pot, then that helps them. That helps to sustain them. So it makes a difference. No, it makes a it's huge very, difference. very, very important. But that, that, this is a very important point to kind of, as we wind this down, I think it's really, really important, the things you just laid out for people to hear and, and to wrestle with. You know, And I think that also the this started, program started off with talking to the folks who wrote um, the report um, that that we've been talking about fr- from um, um, common ground from the common market, 
And I think that's an important piece, too. I mean, the idea that they are trying to build a food hub, that they are a racially mixed group out of Philly, Philly. I think, right? Yeah, out of Philadelphia. And, 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 and they're, trying to, they're building a racially mixed group of organic farmers and small farmers to sell their wares. And that's how the money comes in. That, right. you got to develop a marketplace <laughs> that you can't really do one-on-one all the time. No. Uh, right? It's, it's an economy of scale conversation. And so, you know... You know, again, the the you know the revolutionaries on the phone is the is the young lady, Alea Fraser. Right. They they had the idea to to bring folks together, um, and make the the their their corner of the earth, and 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 their economic power bring it together like Voltron, and so that they can <laughs> compete, compete with the market. So Alea Fraser, why don't you give us some closing thoughts here as. Uh as a revolutionary farmer that you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the support, I mean, support by researching what we're talking about, um, support by going to farms, and support, like, <laughs> support the, the farmers around you, mm-hmm. all of them. Uh, I, I, Black Dirt Farms is incredible the thing you, you put together there. Uh, Alea Fraser, you, you and Blaine Schnipps all together, and the collective you put together and what you're trying to do and, and the... Standing in the middle of a place where it's not always the most friendliest environment to work and live in, uh, but you're doing it. So, Alea Fraser, it's always a pleasure to have you on the air with us, and I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Um, all right, you g- too. Give Blaine uh, uh, the best from up here in Baltimore, from all of us. Absolutely. Uh, well, from all of us. Yes, we'd like to see you. We'd love to see you. And Lavette Blue, uh, the two of the yes. Blues are just two of my favorite people, and uh, uh, they're the Greener Gardens, they're an incredible farm that they are. Uh, that they that they share with their neighbors and just amazing what these this couple are are, are growing in the middle of our city. And Denzel Mitchell, educator from Justice Advocate, political commentator, and really a Godfather. Godfather, Godfather of Black Dirt, and more. <laughs> the Godfather of Black Dirt. Look out! So, <laughs> so I'm gonna thank three all so much for being here. It's been great to have you on the air. Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Tom Creek Foundation. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our intern is Morgan State University senior Michael Dixon. Our engineer is Andrea Melton. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Wing Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. The podcast is Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app.